Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. Welcome to the Royal Ramble Wrestling Podcast on this Friday, July the 28th, 2017, live on itsyourradio.com. I am your host, Brian Sinek. With me, as always, is the co-host, Ryan Motorola. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? Man, Brian, I'm doing good. It feels like forever since we've been on here. It's good to have you back, and it's good to jump right back into this podcast. Yeah, thanks uh, Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, it has been a while since we the last time we've been on live. It's your radio.com recording a podcast. Of course, I'm coming off a very fun vacation, 12-day 12 uh, vacation in Florida, uh, visiting my grandfather, also getting the chance to go to Disney, also Universal Studios. You know the deal when you go to Orlando, Florida. So much, thing that, so much stuff to do. So I am back, and yes... I didn't want to come back eventually, but I am back, of course, and I'm happy to be back doing the podcast again. That's one of the things I missed the most. Being away in Florida was not being able to do the podcast, talking, wrestling, which I love to do, of course. And we have also, guys, some news for you if you don't follow us on the Instagram page. Um, this is our new day now. Uh, no more Thursdays uh, for reasons we don't want to explain. Uh, Fridays are now going to be uh, our weekly show for you guys 4 p.m eastern time it's your radio.com we're going to record our park our podcast every single friday night so every single friday excuse me um so guys again thank you guys for tuning in so much and we have a lot to talk about you know ever since our last episode which was a couple of weeks ago so much has gone on throughout the world of professional wrestling a lot specifically for the wwe and most of the show today will be surrounding We'll talk about, of course, a lot of the WWE stuff. Uh, Battleground took place this past Sunday. We gotta get into that. Uh, a show that you, Ryan, were in attendance to, uh, in attendance for, and from a lot of people's perspective, was not a very good show. We'll give you uh, give our thoughts on that. Uh, we also gotta talk about SummerSlam, which is the next big pay per view coming up for the WWE. One of the biggest pay per views of the year, of course, for the WWE. Uh, some of the matches have been made official, including the Universal title match has been made official. Give our thoughts on that. Plus, the two women's championship matches have been made official, plus some other matches. So, we'll give our quick thoughts on what to expect at SummerSlam. Also, we got to get into the whole uh, Jason Jordan, Kurt Angle storyline, which I have a lot to say about. Uh, didn't, of course, didn't get the chance to give my opinion on that. Um, last week because we didn't have a show, but I'll give my opinion on it this week. Uh, also, a lot of NXT talk. Uh, they're getting they're getting ready for Takeover Brooklyn, but we want to talk about the future of the brand. There's been a lot of rumors and reports on some of the talent that are going to come into the brand. Also, some rumors that current WWE main roster superstars could be going back to the yellow brands. Names like Enzo Amore, The Ascension, etc. We'll give our thoughts on what the future is going to look like for NXT. Also, guys, New Japan Pro Wrestling, the G1 Climax Tournament is underway. We are now basically over a week into the tournament. Some great matches have already happened. 
Uh, we're going to give our thoughts on the tournament so far and take a look at right now as we look at the standings. Who is the favorite? What can we see in the finals? Who could be main eventing Wrestle Kingdom 12? That will be all hopefully talked about within these next two hours. But before we get into all that, you guys know the deal. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter at Royal Ramble IYR. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Royal Ramble Wrestling. Also follow us on Instagram at Royal Ramble Wrestling. If you happen to miss us live on itsyourradio.com, don't forget Hit the subscribe button. Check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. Our episodes are usually uploaded to both those sites the very next day. So expect this episode to be up on Saturday. So, And also, guys, give us a rating. What do you think of our show? Do you like it? Do you hate it? We want to hear from you guys. So there you have it with that. So let's get right into it, Ryan. First things first, let's talk about Battleground. Uh, again, you were in attendance in Philadelphia uh, and from a lot of people's perspective, a lot of people's opinions, it was not a very good show. Now, I didn't get the chance to watch the show because, of course, I was on vacation. Um, and from what I read, I do not intend to watch the show. I did catch some highlights of it, but I did not watch the entire show because, from what I read, it was just not a very good show. I'm going to lean on you, Ryan, to give me the full breakdown of the matches. I didn't watch all the matches uh, but I, of course, read the results, and again, why did the show go bad? Uh, a couple of reasons. Again, some you know, confusing booking, which to me is the biggest factor in today's WWE shows. What will determine how good a show is? To me, mostly, it's all about the booking. Does it make sense? If it doesn't make sense, it's not a good look. But also... There are some weird finishes in each match um, for the for the uh, for the matches on the show, and we'll start right there with uh, the the main event match between Jinder Mahal and Randy Orton, the Punjabi Prison match, a match that yes looks pretty cool when you look at the structure of it. There's basically two cages put in one, but uh, I'm a, I'm a type of person that just doesn't like that type of stuff. I, I mean, yeah, it looks cool, it sounds cool, but a lot of people. Their complaints were, it's just too tough to watch because, you know, you're in two cages. It's tough to see through the structure to watch the match. I heard a lot of people complain that watching it live was kind of tough because, you know, you really can't see through the bamboo structure. But for the match itself, I heard it wasn't that great. Dave Meltzer didn't give it a great rating either. Uh, Jinder Mahal retained the belt was no shocker. It would have been very shocking to see if Orr was going to win that match. But Mahal retained... But it was the finish of the match that got people talking because the match ended screwy. And it ended with the great Kali making his comeback to the WWE, costing Randy Orton the match and giving it to Jinder Mahal. Now, don't forget, people, great Kali was the one to introduce the Punjabi prison about, what, 10 years ago when he wrestled Batista and he wrestled The Undertaker through that structure. And he made his comeback for the first time in years. Now... Is this a full-time return for the Great Khali, or, they or did they just do it for one night? I'm not so sure what the status is for the Great Khali. You would think because he played such a big part in that match that he could be hanging around for a little bit. It would definitely surprise me if he was just there for one night, and that's pretty much it. Because, you know, how does Randy Orton get his revenge on the Great Khali? Because it was the Great Khali that cost him Randy the matchup. But overall, though, from what I read... Not a good match from, yeah, not a good match. Um, you know, it, it was a long time story going on. I'm happy the feud's over with. 
Mahomes moving on to a different challenger. And, of course, we'll get into that situation as next week we'll find out who will be facing uh, Jinder Mahal at SummerSlam for the WWE title. But in terms of Randy Orton, who the heck knows what's going to happen to Randy Orton right now. We did not see him on SmackDown this past Tuesday. And right now you look at the situation and he doesn't have a direction, you know, unless he faces the great Kali at SummerSlam. But who really wants to see that? That's the big question mark. Who is Randy Orton going to face at SummerSlam? Is he going to face the great Kali or is he going to get a new opponent uh, with, the, with the next three weeks uh, beginning the build up to SummerSlam? I'm not so sure. But Ryan, you were there in attendance. You had a very close look at the Punjabi prison. Your thoughts on the match and your thoughts on the decision to have the great Connolly make a comeback and cost Randy Orton the match and give the belt right back to Jinder Mahal. Brian, you, you said it pretty good in the opening. You said, uh, you know, this structure basically looks cool uh, and, and, you know, that's why a lot of people like it. Uh, I could say the same. I, I think I thought it was very, very cool to experience that match live just to see the structure. Obviously, it's something that, you know, we probably won't see for quite a while if we ever do end up seeing it again. Uh, this match, you know, obviously was returning for the first time in 10 years. So it's not something you see every day or, you know, every year for the WWE. It's something you see very, very rarely. Uh, so for that reason, I thought it was cool to experience because, like I said, who knows when the next time we're going to see something like this is. As for the match, like you said, didn't go over too well. I didn't really expect much from it, to be honest with you. I mean, if anybody really expected a lot from this, I don't really know what you were expecting. Um, if you've watched the previous two uh, Punjabi prison matches before this, you knew kind of going into it what it was all about. Um, I could definitely uh, say the same as, you know, sitting there live in the arena. It was very difficult to see through the structure and to see what was going on half the time. Uh, you know, it did do a, a couple of spots uh, right in front of me where I was sitting basically ringside when, uh, you know, Samir Singh, one of the Singh brothers, fell from the uh, basically uh, from the top of the structure when he was fighting with Randy Orton and he landed through the table. That was a very cool spot and probably the best spot of the entire match. Uh, that was done right in front of me, basically. So I had a great view of that. Uh, took a nice video of that. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, as for the other stuff that happened, I mean, I was I, I caught myself watching it on the big screen half the time because it's just very difficult to see through the bamboo structure. Now, if it was only one of them, maybe it would be a little bit easier to see through it. But two of them, it's nearly impossible to see what the hell's going on. And especially when they do something outside of the ring, it's just very, very difficult uh, you know, to watch. But uh, again, it is what it is. Uh, the ending did not surprise me whatsoever. I mean, you know, if you think about it, the great Kali makes a ton of sense. Like you said, Brian, this is the guy that introduced this match to the WWE. And also, too, I did not realize this, but I did see on Twitter after the event, uh, somebody tweeted out that the great Kali was the guy that, uh, you know, basically brought Jinder Mahal into the WWE when Jinder debuted. Uh, he debuted with the Great Khali. I did not know that. I did not, you know, remember that happening. Uh, but there was pictures of that from Jinder's early days. So, I mean, these two have a history, obviously. Uh, they're both big in India. So, you know what? I'm not one bit surprised that they brought the Great Khali back uh, to get involved in this somehow. I don't think he's back full time. I mean, if he was, I think we would have seen him on SmackDown this past week, and we did not. Uh, so I think it was just a one-time thing to get Jinder the win over Randy. I don't really see any follow-up between Jinder, uh, between Randy Orton and the Great Khali. I don't think Randy Orton's going to have a match at SummerSlam. I think 
he might just go away for a while. Uh, but I wasn't one bit surprised. And the fact that people were getting so upset and so pissed and so mad about Goria Kali coming in and helping Jinder Mahal win. I mean, come on now. Just You know, you knew Jinder was going to retain the belt, right? He wasn't going to retain it cleanly. And when he took out the Singh brothers, how was Jinder supposed to beat Randy Orton? Great Kali makes a ton of sense. I wasn't upset about that. Uh, but again, you know, if anybody really expected anything more than what we got in the Pajabi Prison match, again, you have your expectations way too high. So, yeah, it wasn't that great of a match, but it was very cool to experience, uh, you know, this structure live, although you could barely see what was going on half the time. It was just a long feud that needed to end. And again, you know, if you don't follow the WWE, I mean, you just don't really understand what goes on with heels winning matches. Heels don't win matches cleanly these days. No, no heel in the WWE wins a match clean. They always got to find a way to cheat. And that's what happened in this match. You know, the Singh brothers tried to get involved. They couldn't get it done. And they led to the great Khali coming back. Again, I didn't have a big problem with it because I really didn't care about it. Like you said, Ryan... Whoever had high expectations, not just for the match, but for the entire show, what were you honestly expecting? Now, let's get into the rest of the show. And let's talk about the match that drew the most controversy of through the entire night. And that was the United States title matchup between Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. Now, we all know the lead-up to this match. AJ Styles won the United States title at a house show at Madison Square Garden a couple of weeks ago, which drew a lot of shock. From a lot of people because we don't see that type of stuff happen often where we see a title change at a house show. But we saw it. AJ became the champion. And then that led to the AJ Owens match get taken off the battleground card. Which led to people saying, what the hell are they doing? Why isn't AJ or Owens on the show? And then, of course, they put the match back on. Match happens. From what I read, it was a solid matchup. But what people talked about the most was the finish. As Kevin Owens went on to win the United States title again away from AJ Styles. Now, when I saw that, I was not happy. Because yet again, and this is something that WWE has done quite often for the past year or even two years. You can go as far to say that. They like changing titles quickly, abruptly. And they love playing the game of hot potato when it comes to championships. So, when I first read that... Owens won the belt. I'm like, what are they doing? What what is with their love affair of changing titles? But then reports came out that AJ Styles was not supposed to lose that matchup. He was supposed to retain, and there was problems and miscommunication with the referee and both competitors. I I didn't see the full replay, but the referee I think was out of position. Kevin Owens had the pin on AJ Styles. AJ had his shoulder up, but the referee, I guess, didn't see it. And then went to the full 1-2-3 count. Owens won the belt. And then you can see a replay. AJ Styles looking at the referee. like, what, what the hell is going on? This was not supposed to be the finish. Now, there were other reports that Vince McMahon changed the decision of the match before the show began. But that is not really a strong rumor. The strongest rumor is what I said before. AJ was supposed to win. There was just a miscommunication. And it was good to see that SmackDown Live corrected themselves. The next uh, couple nights later, they gave the belt back to AJ Styles. But when you see something like that happen, you just got to look at yourself and say, you know, these guys are professionals. Yes, mistakes happen in professional wrestling. But these guys are professionals. How in the hell was there a miscommunication? 
if you know AJ Styles was supposed to win that matchup, then have no other decision go down but that. You know, find if there's miscommunication, don't let Owens win the belt because he's not supposed to win. AJ was supposed to win that matchup. The referee should have known that. So to see him count the one, two, three. I mean, what do you want Owens to do if he hears one, two, three? Yes, he's going to run him with the championship. I put more blame on the referee for being out of place to not see AJ's shoulder up. And the referee should know who's going to win the match. If AJ's going to win that match, don't let the belt go to Kevin Owens in any fashion. You know, Owens has the pin on AJ Styles and you count the one, two. Don't count the three because you know AJ's supposed to win that matchup. So... I don't understand the miscommunication. These guys are professionals. They should know what they're doing. Again, I put more blame on the ref than I do AJ and Owens because AJ did have his shoulders up, and I guess the ref didn't see it. But again, the decisions of each matchup are made before the match happens, and the decision was AJ is going to retain. The ref should know that he has no right to give the belt to Kevin Owens. That's a bad miscommunication on his part. And it led to a lot of people pissed off because, you know, they thought that, oh, WWE's back to their old games, playing the hot potato game. AJ doesn't deserve this. He just won the belt. Why are you putting the belt back on Kevin Owens? This is his third time as U.S. champion in this one year. So that was one of the biggest, you know, controversies on that show. A bad miscommunication. It was a very good matchup. But again, most of the time, Matches are determined by the booking. It could be a very good matchup, but if the booking is poor, people are not going to like it. They're not going to accept it. And that was the case with this matchup right here. Solid matchup again from AJ and Owens, but it was the bad booking and the bad miscommunication that led to this match not being uh uh you know not being good among the fans. So but again, WWE corrected themselves. They put the belt back on AJ on SmackDown Live. We'll get into that a little bit later. But, I mean, Ryan, your thoughts? Did you see the angle where the refer is counting the 1-2-3? Was there a miscommunication? Your, your thoughts on this whole AJ Styles-Kevin Owens debacle that happened at Battleground? Yeah, quite honestly, Brian, I don't know what the hell went wrong. I mean, uh, from where I was sitting, you know, I mean, obviously I saw what happened. So Owens basically rolls up AJ, but it was weird because I feel like KO's shoulders were also down because they were basically in the same position, but Owens was just holding up AJ's legs like he was pinning him. So the ref was behind Owens, and I guess saw that Owens had... AJ's legs in the air, so it looked like he was the one pinning him, even though Owens' shoulders, I'm pretty sure, were down as well as AJ's. And I thought at first that that was the point. I thought it was, you know, they were going to do the thing where they usually do, oh, both guys' shoulders were down, this and that on SmackDown, then, you know, have uh, you know have another match, and then maybe AJ wins. Again, I know AJ ended up winning the belt in the end anyways, but that's what I thought they were doing. But then, you know, obviously reading online that it wasn't supposed to happen that way and AJ was supposed to retain the belt, uh, yeah, I just, I don't really know. I mean, you know, the referees in the WWE, I think they are basically trained to, you know, count the one, two, three either way. I mean, it doesn't matter if AJ was supposed to win the match. If by some reason KO rolls him up and AJ's shoulders stay down for three and AJ don't kick out, the ref has to count three. He can't just, you know, if AJ's not kicking out, he can't just 
you know, stop his count. I mean, he, I know that AJ was the one that was supposed to win the match, but, you know, again, they have to go with the flow here. So that's basically what happened, I guess. And Kevin Owens won the belt. I was shocked. Uh, and then after the match, AJ was visibly upset. And that's kind of where I kind of uh, started realizing that maybe that wasn't supposed to go down the way it did. I mean, AJ took a while to get out of the ring, talking to the ref. Then after he got out of the ring and he flipped the steps, uh, he 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 just forcefully threw the steps off to the side like he was really really pissed. Uh, and and at, at that point the lights were out and something else was going on on the screen. But AJ was still really pissed about what happened. So yeah, I mean I I couldn't even tell you really. Uh, but AJ won the belt back. So like you said, they corrected their mistake. But yeah, I mean this just probably some sort of miscommunication. I'm sure whether it was the ref, whether it was Kevin Owens, whether it was AJ. Whoever it was, I'm sure they got their ear chewed out by Vince when they got backstage. So, you know what? It's just one of those things that happens from time to time. I mean, you're on live television all the time when you're in WWE like this. Things happen. Things tend to go wrong. It's just the way it is. They corrected it. AJ's the champion again. And, uh, you know, you move on from here. So, uh, yeah, I just I really don't know what went wrong. But like you said, the match was very solid, of course, between these two guys. I'm curious to see if this feud continues. We just saw a triple threat on SmackDown. So uh, we'll see where they go with AJ and the United States title and uh, Kevin Owens and all that stuff from here. Now, let's talk about the rest of the show because, again, there was a lot of stuff that happened on the show in terms of the booking that didn't really please the fans. And let's start off with the first match of the show, the tag team title match between the Usos and the New Day, which, from what I read, was the best match of the night. And not really a surprise. I mean, it's a surprise that it was the best match of the night, but it wasn't a shocker that it was a great match. The New Day and the Usos have tremendous chemistry. They do. Their segments every week are very solid, and their in-ring work together are very, very good. And again, they delivered another strong matchup. And the New Day became the new SmackDown Live Tag Team Champions. And that decision did not please the fans. And I understand why, because the Usos have had a tremendous run as Tag Team Champions. They've had the belts for, what, four or five months, it seems like. They had the belts before WrestleMania, so it had to be around four months. And and they've done a tremendous job defending those titles, continuing to grow into their heel gimmicks. And that's a type of towering that you want to see continue to move on. But... I didn't hate the decision to put the belt in a New Day for this simple reason. Let's say the Usos did retain the tag team titles. Isn't the feud over? Maybe not because, again, if you have the Usos cheat to win, then yeah, maybe you can set up a third matchup. But I look at it like, alright, the Usos are still the champions. Doesn't that mean the Usos and the New Day are done as a feud? That's something that cannot happen, all right? I pointed it out before the summer began when these two teams started to have their first encounters that this feud has got to go on throughout the entire summer because, let's be honest, if the Usos beat the New Day and they move on to a different opponent, who is that opponent? You're going to tell me Brizongo? And yes, I like Brizongo, but right now they're in their own situation and they're not in a position to go after those titles, you're going to tell me the Ascension? I mean, these guys are barely seen on television. Same goes for the Hype Bros. I mean, you could have had American Alpha, but we all know that situation with American Alpha. And, of course, we'll get into that a little bit later. But basically what I'm saying is you cannot have this feud end. And there is a good possibility that if the Usos beat the New Day at Battleground, the feud's over with. You cannot have that. So I look at it like, all right, they put the belt in the New Day. 
to continue the feud. And it's going to continue the feud, as we saw what happened on Tuesday where the Usos attacked the New Day. The feud's going to continue. There's going to be another match at SummerSlam, which it should be because this has been a really good feud. And it needs to continue because there are no other tag teams on that brand at this point ready to fight for those belts. All right, They're going to have to find a new tag team at some point challenge for those belts whether it's brizongo whether it's the ascension whether it's a team to take out of nxt maybe sanity i'm not so sure maybe they put harper and rowan back together which has been rumored for a little while now they need to start putting together a better tag team division on smackdown live it's the new day it's the usos and that's it yes brizongo is getting a lot of tv time but you know, as a goofy tag team. They're not a serious tag team. They're a goofy tag team with the fashion files, which I'm not saying it's bad. It's really fun. I love watching the fashion files, but they keep doing that type of segment. They will not be taken seriously as legitimate title contenders in that division. So I didn't hate the decision to put the belts in a new day. I see where people are coming from because the Usos had such a very good run. But to me, I look at it like this. The New Day wins, it keeps the feud going. If the Usos win, there's a good chance that the feud doesn't keep going and both teams go on and move on uh, separately. They go their separate ways. So I was not a big you know, hater of that decision. Shinsuke Nakamura, Baron Corbin. A solid match from what I've heard, but a very shitty ending. Now, I did make the prediction when we did our predictions the last time we were on the air that this match has got to end any disqualification with Shinsuke Nakamura winning. You could not have Baron Corbin go over Nakamura cleanly, and you couldn't have Nakamura go over Baron Corbin cleanly because Baron Corbin is Mr. Money in the Bank. And they did go that route. They had the match end in a note and a disqualification. Corbin began to disqualify Nakamura won. What was so bad about it though is the way the DQ finish happened. You would think because it's Baron Corbin that he would get disqualified by hitting Nakamura with a chair, or putting Nakamura through a table. No, it was neither. They act, they decided to have Baron Corbin basically kick um, Nakamura up his grapefruits and to end the match like that. And to me, that's just a soft finish. That is, that's a soft way to get disqualified. And it doesn't fit with Corbin's character. You look at Corbin, this guy's big, he's mean, he's a badass. You would think if he gets disqualified... He would do something more physical, like a chair shot, or getting put through a table. Nope, we're going to go with the typical kick to the nuts type of finish. And I just hate that type of stuff. That just doesn't fit Corbin's character. It makes him look like a wimp. It makes him look like a bitch. And that's not what Corbin should be. Corbin's a big dude. He's Mr. Money in the Bank. He should be a badass. I'm happy they decided to end the match and they know disqualification. But the way they did it, I was not a fan of it. So that was a poor finish. Uh, Natalia winning uh, the number one contender spot for the women's title. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that. I get why they did it. Natty's a heel. You need a heel to face the face, the, the, the take on the face, which is Naomi. But a, a Natty Naomi match at SummerSlam just doesn't excite me because you know Ryan how you feel about Natalia. I'm not a big fan of her, you know. Yeah, she's good in the ring, but she's so annoying on the microphone. I hate her character, and I'm just not interested in seeing her versus Naomi when they could have had Naomi versus Charlotte or even Naomi versus Becky Lynch, and that's not what we're going to get. So Natalia won the match. Good for her, but I'm not a fan. I'm not interested in this feud. 
in this match at SummerSlam. Uh, Sami Zayn beat Mike Kanellis. No surprise there. Mike got the first victory in this little feud. Sami Zayn got the bounce back win. Uh, are they going to continue this feud? I'm not so sure. I, I'm having some concerns already for Mike Kanellis. There's been a lot of reports that WWE right now isn't too highly on him and his character, which to me is no shocker. The moment you know they they put Mike Kanellis on television with Maria and they you know they introduced this little a power love type character. I wanted to give it a chance, but I'm like, I just don't think this this character is going to work on the main roster. And right now. That's the direction they're heading into. It's, this is not a good gimmick for Mike Kanellis, but it is what it is. And that was pretty much it for Battleground, basically. Uh, again, a show that many people did not like for the simple reason. There were a lot of very confusing, odd decisions on the show. There were mistakes on the show. Just an overall mess. So that's my final touch on the show, Ryan. Put a bow on Battleground. Your overall thoughts on the entire show. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I don't hate the New Day winning the tag belts either. I mean, uh, really, how can you hate on that? I mean, what did people want to see? Another Usos DQ victory to hold on to the titles? I mean, they can only do that so many times. And like you said, they got to continue this feud. And with the New Day winning the belts, now you have the Usos getting their rematch, which could happen at SummerSlam. So I, I, I said this in the beginning, you know, in the beginning of this feud, that this should drag all the way to SummerSlam, and here you go. So uh, the, new, the New Day winning... It had to happen. Simple as that. And you knew it was going to happen either way. So if it didn't happen at Battleground, probably would have happened at SummerSlam. So either way, we have them as champs, and we're going to probably have them as champs for a long time now. So definitely didn't hate on that either. Um, Natalia becoming the number one contender. I'm not a huge fan of her either, but you know what? It's something new. It's something different. Um, you know, it's always the possibility of Carmella cashing in uh, her money in the bank. So who knows? I mean, uh, you know, Natalia getting a shot. It's something new. You know, SmackDown Live continues to be the land of opportunity. So uh, you know what? I I'm not hating on it too much. I just hope that you know, for SummerSlam, they find something for Charlotte and Becky Lynch and you know those type of girls. Uh, hopefully, they find them something to do because if they keep them off of the second biggest show of the year, uh, it's criminal right there. So. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, Baron Corbin, it was all right. I mean, you know what? It, I felt like the crowd was half asleep during this. It was very slow-paced. Um, you know, Nakamura just, I, I feel like he is not going full speed or he's not going to his true potential. I feel like he's getting a little lazy because uh, he knows that he doesn't have to do much and he can get away with it now. I mean, he's over with the crowd. But I just feel like he just has really turned it down a notch uh, lately. And maybe it's just Baron Corbin's not a great uh, you know, competitor for him to, to face off against. But I don't know. I'm just really not into it right now. The DQ finish, you called it, Brian, uh, was not really surprised in the end either. But you know what? He, like you said, Baron Corbin can't really lose, even though we have seen Money in the Bank holders lose matches before. Uh, but you know what? Get Nakamura the win, get it by DQ, uh, and then you know move this right along. And it does not look like this feud is continuing, thank God. So uh, good thing for that. Sami Zayn, Mike Kanellis, yeah, I mean, nothing really to, to talk about there. Sami Zayn gets a surprising victory. I hope they're not souring on Mike Kanellis already. You know, I was a little skeptical at first when he debuted with Maria and when this whole uh, power of love gimmick, but I'm actually starting to like it. I really think it makes a ton of sense. He has Maria with him. Basically, it's Maria bringing him into the WWE because Maria was once there before, so some of the audience should be familiar with her. Not everybody's familiar with Mike, so it just works out. And with her in his corner, 
he could it could really help him out. He could really win a lot of matches. It can it can lead him to a title victory, a mid card title, I should say. Definitely not a, a major title, but he could be an intercontinental champ or United States champion. But I just hope that you know WWE is not already uh, you know losing some interest in him because I really think there is potential there with him and Maria. But we'll see uh, what happens moving forward. And then also forgot to mention John Cena and Rusev in the oh, flag yeah. match. It was a fun match. I mean, you know, flag matches are so stupid. I mentioned it before. Basically like an ambulance match. Very pointless. Dumb, uh, you know, dumb stipulation. But you know what? It was fun for what it was. You knew John Cena was going to win. You know, this was just his return match. He needed to get a victory to move on to SummerSlam for a big-time matchup. Uh, so him and Rusev, Rusev really enter- entertained me uh, and everybody, too, in the arena. Everybody was into that from, from uh, you know, beginning till the end. Very dramatic finish, which was very cool. So, yeah, I mean, as for Battleground, you know, I don't really think it was as bad as people are making it out to be. Uh, but, again, it wasn't a fantastic show. But I don't think it was definitely the worst either. Uh, again, maybe I'm just biased because I was there live and I tend to enjoy shows more when I'm in attendance live than I am, you know, when, when I'm watching it on TV. I think that's with everybody. But uh, to me, I think some people are overreacting. It wasn't that great, but it also wasn't that bad as people were saying it was. I uh, completely forgot about the Cena Rusev match. Uh, I again, I didn't watch the match, so I really can't fully break down the match. But Cena beating Rusev, no shocker. Whoever thought Rusev was going to win, I mean, come on. I mean, does Rusev ever beat John Cena? Especially with John Cena now getting this title opportunity, which we've known was going to happen for a while. How in the hell are you going to have Rusev beat Cena and then have Cena move on to a title matchup? I know Rusev should have won the match because Rusev needs to get over, but. We all know that the fact that Cena doesn't put Rusev over. So that's my say on that. So that's our battleground recap. Let's now move on to what happened. What's well, what's happening with, in case with Monday Night Raw as they head into SummerSlam. First and foremost, we got to touch on the fact that we have the Universal title match officially set for SummerSlam. Probably going to main event the show. And it was the match that I wanted. And, and it's the match that pe- a lot of people wanted. And that was the Fatal 4-Way match. Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, Samoa Joe, and Braun Strowman. So, so happy they're going this route. Because we mentioned it on the last podcast. That there is no way you have Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. And that's it. You know, Especially when you have Braun Strowman go over Roman Reigns at Great Balls of Fire. And then you have Samoa Joe give Brock Lesnar one of the toughest matches of his career. To have those two guys not involved, but Roman Reigns involved, would make no sense. So I'm very happy they went the route. Of course, we all know what happened before. Joe versus Reigns. Braun Strowman got involved. Led to a no contest. Next week, Kurt Angle announces Fatal 4-Way. Thank God, because that's a money-making matchup right there. Nobody on the wrestling planet gives a shit about another Brock-Roman match, right? There would, not, there would not be a lot of interest. The match would probably be similar to what happened at WrestleMania. We couldn't have that. I know how much Vince wanted to do it, but he had no choice but to go this route. And I'm happy he did. Braun Strowman and Samoa Joe deserve the opportunity to fight for that championship. Especially Braun Strowman, who has been on an absolute tear this past year. 
it would have been criminal if he didn't get a title opportunity. He deserves it. Samoa Joe deserved another opportunity for that championship. And it should be exciting, Ryan. That's one of the matches I'm looking forward to the most at SummerSlam. It's going to main event the show. It could be one of the best matches of the night. I'm curious to see how the match goes. What's going to happen? What are some of the spots we're going to see? Because these are four big dudes that are physical in the ring. Brock is physical. Roman's physical. Braun is completely physical. Samoa Joe can get physical. So I'm very interested to see what the buildup is going to be for the next three weeks. And I'm very interested to see how the match is going to go down. But anyways, we got the matchup. Thank God. Happy about that. And we'll see what happens from now till SummerSlam with these four guys. Uh, the women's title match is also set at SummerSlam. We're getting Bliss versus Bayley again. Bailey won the opportunity to fight for this belt by beating Sasha Banks this past Monday on Raw. Uh, what do I think about it? Am I a big fan of Bailey versus Bliss again? Not really. You know, this storyline has been such a disaster between these two girls, but this is a good opportunity for a rebound for this storyline. And this is going to be on the rise staff to finally, you know, give us a good story to tell between Bliss and Bailey. Their first storyline was a huge wreck with the whole, this is your life Bailey stuff. And then the disaster that was the candlestick and a pole match. We need a better storyline. And I definitely think there's a good chance, Ryan, that Bailey does win the belt SummerSlam because here's my take on it with Sasha Banks's case. Enough's enough. We need a heel turn for Sasha Banks. She's been a face way too long. It's been an okay run as a face for Sasha Banks, but we all know her true potential, and that is her as a heel. I mean, when you go back and watch her NXT, when she was the boss, when she was the biggest heel possibly on the brand, other than Kevin Owens, she was gold. She was fantastic on the microphone as a character. Yes, her Facebook has been good, but we all know she's just a much better heel. And we're all sitting here, Ryan, anxiously waiting for the Bailey-Sasha Banks feud. We've been talking about this for such a long time. We talked about it at WrestleMania possibly happening. We talked about it at happening at SummerSlam. Neither is happening at those shows. So now we ask the question, when is it going to happen? Because it has to happen eventually. You can't keep Bailey and Sasha Banks friends forever. There has to be a point where Sasha just has enough. She turns heel and her and Bailey feud. And maybe that's when we see this heel turn. Maybe have Bailey beat Bliss with the belt at SummerSlam. They celebrate together in the next night on Raw. And then you have Sasha turn heel. Maybe that's where they go. I'm not officially sold on that, but that's what I'm hoping for. But at the same time, am I excited to see Bailey be champion and leave Bliss with nothing? I'm not so I, I I'm not sure if I am a fan of that because I love Alexa Bliss and we all know how good she is. So let's say they did have Bailey beat Bliss and she faces Sasha Banks for the title. What does that leave Alexa Bliss? Is she gonna feud with Nia Jax? I mean, really? That's where you're gonna go with? What is she gonna do? So. This is a big question that WWE has to answer. What are they going to do with the women's division and the women's title? Are you going to put the belt on Bayley or are you going to keep it on Bliss? If you're going to put the belt on Bayley, let's get this Sasha Banks-Bayley feud going because it has to happen. If you're not going to put the belt on Bayley, then what are you going to do with Alexa Bliss? Are you going to have her face Nia Jax finally? Are you going to bring up Asuka and have her get involved in the mix? I'm not so sure, but that is an interesting question to ask. The state of the women's division. And then there is the tag team division. 
Cesaro and Sheamus are looking for new challengers. They're done with the Hardy Boys. That feud's over with. They had a little run-in with Gals and Anderson. There's also the Revival, but there's been a lot of rumors and speculation that we're going to get Seth and Dean Ambrose together challenging for those titles. Am I a fan of that? I like the idea of Dean and Seth teaming together and challenging Cesaro and Sheamus for those belts. I do believe that would be a very, very good match at SummerSlam. But personally, Ryan, I'd rather see Dean turn heel and him and Seth feud each other. Maybe that does happen in the very end. Maybe you know, this is just a little teaser that they want to you know, you know, tease the fans that the Shield are going to come back. But in the very end, it was all uh, all you know, basically a big tease. That, and then Dean turns heel on Seth Rollins. But uh, I mean, I want to like the idea of Dean and Seth teaming together and challenging for those belts. I think they could be really good tag team champions together. But there's bigger potential of another feud between these two guys but with the uh with the um the roles reversed you know because the first feud seth was the heel dean was the face this time around it should be dean as the heel and seth as the baby face i think that would have great potential to be a very strong feud for the next coming months but as we speak right now as we sit here right now and look at raw their shows have been not bad i mean they could definitely get better but their shows have been pretty much positive as of late compared to SmackDown Live, which we got to talk about in their debacle as of late. But uh, no, Raw has been really solid, and so far their matches for SummerSlam look really good. The Fatal 4-Way match for the Universal title, Bliss versus Bayley, uh, Finn Balor versus Bray Wyatt, which I'm very interested in. Uh, possibly the idea of Seth and Dean teaming together to take on Cesaro and Sheamus. Some very good matches right now from the Raw brand, and you know should be very exciting for them. Leading to SummerSlam. So, Ryan, overall, your thoughts on some of the matches that were announced at SummerSlam regarding the side of Monday Night Raw? Yeah, I love it. I do. Uh, all the matches that you just said. I mean, the Fatal 4-Way match between Roman, Braun, Joe, and Brock. I mean, how can you not be excited for that? Those are four of the biggest, toughest, baddest dudes in the WWE right now uh, going at it in the same match. Uh, Fatal 4-Way rules for the Universal title. That is huge. That is big. It don't get much bigger than that. I'm happy they went that route as well, Brian, because uh, you know we were all afraid that they were going to do the Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar match, which we've seen already at WrestleMania 31. We all know how that went down, so I don't think a lot of people wanted to see it again. It just makes sense to throw Joe and Braun in the mix. They deserve it. Like you said, they've been involved in these top storylines. Just It makes sense for everybody to try and go at Brock Lesnar here. I think there is about a 10% chance that Brock Lesnar gets out of this still universal champion. I think it's almost a guarantee that he's dropping this belt. Uh, we'll make our predictions when SummerSlam gets closer, but I'm very, very excited about this match. Uh, this should be awesome, like you said, going to main event. Don't get much bigger, like I said. Um, Alexa Bliss and Bayley. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I'm surprised Bailey's getting back in the mix. I mean, let's put it that way. I think everybody's surprised about that. Everybody thought that Bailey was basically doomed after she got squashed by Alexa Bliss at Extreme Rules. Uh, but they built her back up, and now she's challenging Alexa Bliss again. And like you said, Brian, I do think she will win the belt here. 
Uh, can't really complain because Bliss had a hell of a run. Uh, nobody expected her to get the belt right away like she did. So she had it for a couple of months, and I think Bailey should win it back and then start a feud with Sasha Banks, which we've all been waiting for. Like you said, Sasha's got to turn heel again. Um, it's just – it's got to happen. She's been faced for way too long. It's getting stale right now. She was awesome when she was the boss back in NXT. Like you said, one of the top heels of the brand. So she could easily be a top heel of Monday Night Raw. And who does not, not want to see her and Bailey feuding again, this time on the main roster? I think it'll be awesome to see. So hopefully that happens. Um, Finn Balor, Bray Wyatt, too, is another matchup that we've been dying to see. So I'm very uh, happy about that and really looking forward to seeing how, what the build is like. And I'm sure the Demon will come back in this match. I'm sure Finn Balor will come out as the Demon against Bray Wyatt at SummerSlam. So looking forward to that. Um, Ambrose and Rollins teaming up, too. I think it's intriguing. I think this can only lead to an Ambrose heel turn, which we've all been waiting for and which is way overdue. Uh, so I guess in order for that to happen, they have to be on good terms for a little bit. I wouldn't be uh, upset if they ended up winning the tag team titles and had a short little run with those belts for, for quite some time. Uh, but I think in the end, ultimately, this has to end with Dean Ambrose turning heel. Uh, so again, we'll see what happens with that. So yeah, Brian, I got to say, these past few weeks, I've really been enjoying Monday Night Raw. I think the storylines are very intriguing. It's been way better than SmackDown, in my opinion. And I'm really looking forward to SummerSlam. Uh, just with these matchups for the Raw side alone, I think it's going to be a, a very good event. Uh, it already looks great on paper. But looking forward to seeing the build towards these matches in the next couple of weeks. Now, I want to get into a specific storyline that is going on that I really have to really dive into. Uh, and, of course, two weeks ago on Monday Night Raw, Kurt Angle, all eyes were on Kurt Angle as he was going to make this announcement that he has a illegitimate son. Now, I, I, get, I think we touched on it uh, on our last episode, and I pointed it out on the, on the Instagram page at Royal Ramble Wrestling uh, that it's going to be either Jason Jordan or Chad Gable. That's the rumor I heard, and I thought it was going to be Chad Gable, but instead... It was Jason Jordan. So basically, Kurt Angle came out, announced that he has an illegitimate son, and it was Jason Jordan basically ending the run of American Alpha. Now, I see where WWE is trying to go with this because looking at American Alpha, who is the biggest star of the two? It's simply Chad Gable. There's no question about that. Chad Gable out of the two gets the most pop. He does the most in the ring. People like him more because he's got more of a character to him than Jason Jordan. And this is a way, I guess, of trying to push Jason Jordan and to try to make him into a star. Okay. But you also got to look at it, Ryan, where you just destroyed and split up another tag team. I mean, basically, in 2017 has been the year of ending tag teams. Enzo and Cass. DIY, even though I don't really give a shit about them, but still, Golden Truth. And now, you just split up American Alpha. And that is such disappointing to see because when we look back at American Alpha's run in NXT, it was a great story. You know, Jason Jordan, for a long time, struggled to get on NXT television weekly. They didn't know what to do with him, so they tried to push him into a tag team spot. They couldn't find a good tag team partner for him. Until Chad Gable came in. They put them together, see what could happen, and right away they just clicked. Their chemistry was great. Their charisma together was great. The fans liked these guys. And month by month, they started getting hotter. And they started getting more popular with the fans. And then, of course, then, as the more popular they got, 
They start getting more takeover appearances. And then finally, they win the big one. They win the NXT Tag Team titles away from the Revival. And then they got the call up to the main roster. They were supposed to be the face of the Tag Team Division on SmackDown. They were the first tag team chosen by SmackDown Live, I think, other than the New Day. No, excuse me, the New Day part of the roster shakeup. No, they were the first tag team chosen during the draft. And, you know, you know, a couple of months, they were okay, I guess. And then, of course, became tag team champions, which you thought right then and there, this is going to be the beginning of the American Alpha run. And then, what, uh, two months later, they dropped the belts to the Usos. Ever since then, they were nowhere to be found. They were not on television. There was no word about their future. Now we see the big picture. They're splitting up. I'm just not a fan of it, Ryan. They they did this way too early. Way too early. America Alpha deserved to be together still for maybe another year or two. Yes, we all know in the very end these two were going to go their separate ways because they're just too good. Both guys are going to have good runs single wrestler-wise. But right now, it's so early to, to take these guys away from each other, especially at a point where we're at a time that WWE is starving for tag teams. They need tag team help in the worst way, but all they keep doing is splitting up tag teams. I mean, look at SmackDown Live's tag team division. I mentioned it before. It's the Usos, it's the New Day, and then that's it. Brizongo, The Ascension. Uh, the, the Hype Bros, possibly Rowan and Harper coming back together. That is not a good tag team division. It's just not. Raw's division's fine. You got the club, you got the Revival, you got the Hardy Boys, and even Cesaro and Sheamus, okay, they're good. But still, the tag team division is a mess. So why in the hell are you continuing to take away tag teams? Especially American Alpha... That they were destined to be the next great tag team in this company. And you didn't know what to do with them. It's sad, Ryan. It really is. When you watch them in NXT, you're sitting there saying to yourself, holy shit, WWE just found themselves the next best tag team in this company, along with the Revival. But nope, they go to the main roster, bam. They, they're underutilized. They don't know what to do with them. Oh, let's split them up. Let's see what they can do with singles guys. And I'm not sitting here saying that these guys are going to suck as singles wrestlers. No. I think Jordan's going to be great as a singles guy. And I say the same thing for Chad Gable. I think he's going to be great as a singles guy. But the timing was so poor. They just came out of nowhere. And let's be honest. This is how you split up American Alpha? By having Jordan go out being Kurt Angle's son? That's odd. That's strange. It's weird. And I'm not a fan of it. Yes, when I watched the segment, I was laughing my ass off because it was so stupid and it was funny. But at the same time, Ryan, you just got to look at it and say, really? That's how you split up this tag team? To have Jason Jordan go over to the to the other show, portraying himself as Kurt Angle's son? And then you have Kurt Angle on live television basically cry his ass off, which was great job by Kurt, by the way, to show so much emotion. I don't know how he did that. But still, it was stupid. I wasn't a fan of it. Again, it was too early for me. The timing wasn't right. To have these guys on the main roster for a year and then just give up on them just like that, it's just a mess. And and WWE right now, they got to stop splitting up tag teams. It's too much. Enzo and Cass are gone. DIY is gone. Now America Alpha, 
now you question yourself, who's next? Are the Hardy Boys going to split up? You know, are, are, are Cesaro and Sheamus going to split up eventually? Who the hell knows? Are the Hype Bros going to split up? It's a mess. The tag division on both Raw and SmackDown, and, and entirely for the WWE, is an absolute mess. And they continue to make it worse by splitting up more tag teams. America Alpha should not be split up right now. They should not. And if you're gonna go, if you're gonna roll with a storyline where Jason Jordan's carrying his son, hell, why don't you throw in Chad Gable and say, "Oh, I got two sons. My other son's Chad Gable. Guess what, Jason? Guess what, Chad? Your brothers." I might settle for that because guess what? Kurt Angle is basically mentoring two guys that are very similar to him. Collegiate athletes that won gold medals. That have a great wrestling background. I would have settled for that for more. I would have settled that more than just Jason Jordan. Again, I get why they're doing it. They want to push Jason Jordan. They want to, to separate him from Gable because Gable is too much of a star. But still, though, Ryan, you just got to look at it and say, really? That's what you're doing? That's how you split up a great tag team to have one be the son of a Hall of Famer? It's it, it just, I'm not a fan of it. And it sucks because, and the and the person I feel bad the most is Triple H. Because he, along with William Regal, were the ones that put American Alpha together and helped them become superstars. And now Triple H has to see this group that he helped make split up within a year for some stupid storylines. If I'm Triple H, I'm going to Vince and saying, what the hell are you doing? Why are you splitting up American Alpha after a year on the main roster? It's infuriating. It really is, Ryan. I'm not sure how you feel how you feel about that, but I'm not a fan of it. The timing was poor, and the way they split them up was stupid. Oh, we're going to split up American Alpha. Uh, Jason Jordan's going to be Kurt Angle's son. Really? That's just lazy stuff. It's stupid stuff. I'm not a fan of it. I'm happy that Jordan's getting this opportunity and he's going to get a push. Good for him. But to me, the timing was poor. And if you're going to split up America Alpha, this is not the way you do it. Do it like what you did with Enzo and Cass. Have one turn on the other. Do it like you did with DIY. Have one turn on the other. Not have freaking Jason Jordan go over to, to the other show and say, I'm um, Kurt Angle's son. And be revealed as Kurt Angle's son. I'm not a fan of that, Ryan. I really am. So, good opportunity for Jordan and Gable to go their separate ways and pursue singles careers. But right now, the timing wasn't right. Especially when WWE is starving for tag teams. They can't keep splitting up tag teams. It's only going to continue to destroy the tag team division. It's already destroyed, in my opinion. I know there are good tag teams out there. But the division continues to get weaker and weaker because WWE continues to split up tag teams for no reason. No reason whatsoever. So, Ryan, I've just given my say. Your thoughts on this whole Jordan Angle situation? Yeah, I'm not a fan of uh, the storyline at all. I mean, I think they should just keep Kurt Angle as the GM and that's it. Strictly, you know, just to be an on-screen character. No in-depth storyline with him. I mean, it's ridiculous. I... You know, thank God it's not the love affair angle that we thought it was going to be. I mean, I could tolerate this a little bit more than I would be able to if it ended up being that. But, uh, you know, again, I'm just not a fan of it either. You know, if you think about it, Jason Jordan makes sense, okay? I mean, uh, you know, again, I guess you could say he kind of resembles Kurt. 
in some way. Uh, you know, I don't know. I just feel like it wouldn't have made sense if it was Chad Gable. Uh, obviously, it was going to be one of them, but I think Jason Jordan is the better of the two. Uh, you know, again, this benefits Jason Jordan in a huge way, and I think that guy is super talented. He's very athletic. He definitely deserves a push, and I think uh, and he could be a good mid-card champion. He could be a top player. He, he really could. I think he does have potential. But, yeah, I mean, what you're saying about American Alpha splitting up so soon, I'm not a fan of it either. I mean, granted, they weren't really doing much anyways, uh, you know, on the main roster. You know, they, they basically flopped the first title run that they gave to those two guys. I mean, basically, they had belts for a little bit and then lost them and never really gained any momentum after that. They basically just lost everything. There was a couple of teases going around that they were going to turn heel, but it never worked out. It never happened. And then you kind of saw Chad Gable getting singles matches against, you know, Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. And, I mean, and then, you know, now you see Jason Jordan separating and going to Raw and leaving Chad on SmackDown. So, I mean, you know what? This does open up the opportunity for those two to get back together, maybe uh, somewhere down the line, because they never actually split up. They never turned on each other or anything like that. Uh, so I guess they're keeping that option open. But, yeah, I mean, just basically out of nowhere, uh, breaking up a tag team like this with no explanation and just taking Jordan away from Gable uh, and away from SmackDown, it just happened way too soon. And it feels like everything that Triple H is doing in NXT with these guys, uh, you know, in the tag team division, and not even in the tag team division, just in general, it seems like all the guys that he's making, you know, stars down there, it's basically just all for nothing when they get to the main roster. I mean, what did, what was the whole big deal about American Alpha as a tag team in NXT when they barely even lasted on the main roster? Uh, I mean, again, you know, it's, it's his way of developing stars, but when they hit the main roster, they end up either going their own separate ways or not succeeding at all. And it's really sad to see. And like you said, the tag team division could not be any weaker at the moment, especially on SmackDown. I mean, like you said, on Raw, they have The Revival, they have Gallows and Anderson, they have the Hardy Boys, uh, Sheamus and Cesaro have been good champions. But SmackDown, oh my God, they have two tag teams, like you said, Brian. Uh, they just can't afford to be breaking up yet another one because what's going to happen after this Uso's New Day feud? Who the hell is going to jump back in there? I mean, yeah, there's a possibility that uh, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan can jump into there, but okay, that's just one more tag team. So then you have three. You can't build a division around three tag teams. I mean, tag team wrestling in the WWE is just... I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's dead completely because, like I said, there are a few good tag teams. And, you know, some of these matches are fun. Like we just said, the Usos and the New Day had a very fun match at Battleground on Sunday. So, you know, it, it, it could be good, but the constant breaking up of tag teams is not going to – you just can't keep doing it. I mean, really. So what, every tag team that comes up from NXT or every tag team that WWE acquires from the independents – is going to not last on the main roster. What, are they going to give them one year, maybe? Give them a short title run and then break them up? It's just the same constant cycle. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of them breaking up. Uh, you know, good for Jason Jordan, though. Like you said, Brian, he will be benefiting from this in a huge way, uh, possibly taking the Intercontinental Championship off of the Miz at SummerSlam. So I'm curious to see what he does, you know, moving forward. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as for this whole entire storyline, I'm not fully invested in it yet. Uh, let it play out for a couple more weeks, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, again, you know, I'm just, 
Again, you know, I'm not going to bash here and say, you know, Jordan or Gable are not going to succeed. I think they're going to succeed. This is a great opportunity for Jordan to try to make a name for himself. And, yeah, him versus The Miz should be interesting. I think, you know, this is a good opportunity for Jordan to become a big-time babyface because The Miz is one of, if not the best heel that the company has. And I think The Miz could definitely elevate uh, Jordan as a babyface. And Chad Gable, to me, I think this kid's got a tremendous future ahead of him. He is very underrated. He, I think, I mean, will he ever become a main event world champion on SmackDown Live? Probably not, but... As a top-notch mid-carder, absolutely. I don't know how he's not. You know, Gable's got the charisma. He's got the fan support. He's so good in the ring. I think he's going to be a star on SmackDown Live. But still, just to see them break up after a year just frustrates me because we all know how good they are. We saw it in NXT, how good these two are, how good they can be on the main roster. But WWE just decides to say, all right. We're going to split them up. You know, it's not working out. They just give up. I mean, so many people said, oh, well, you know, American Alpha, they just weren't getting over. Yeah, because WWE didn't give them the opportunity to, to get over. You know, yeah, and whenever they're on SmackDown Live, they just had matches. They never really gave them the opportunity to talk. Never gave them the opportunity to show their charisma. And then when they dropped the tag team belts, they were not showing television in, in two months. So how could you really, you know, blame Jordan Gable for not getting over when WWE didn't give him the opportunity to get over? So it's frustrating to me, but it is what it is. And we'll see uh, what happens with Jordan and Gable moving forward. As we look at SmackDown Live and we see their situation right now, I mean, their shows are not getting good. They're not. And a part of it is because, you know, the storylines have not been that interesting. Uh, the booking of their shows have not been that interesting, and you know they're depleting their roster. And as we look at the big picture, of course, AJ Styles uh, won the United States title back on SmackDown. Good for him uh, to keep that belt on him. Jericho, Chris Jericho, by the way, made his comeback. That was great to see. And when I look at that uh, that visual of Jericho back on SmackDown Live, the first thing I thought of was this is a panic move. I, and the reason I'm saying that is because SmackDown Live, their shows have not been that good. And the more they get worse, the the, the ratings are going to continue to take a hit. I think this was a way to get a guy with so much recognition, so much popularity back on the show. Because I don't think Chris Jericho was supposed to be back this early. I mean, there was reports that he was not going to come back until 2018. And to see him back before SummerSlam... I think that tells me that this was a panic move. They said, Chris, we need you back desperately. Uh, I guess Chris was done with whatever he's doing with Fozzie, so he came back a little bit early. But anyways, it is great to see Jericho back. He is still, even at the age of, what, 45, 46, Chris Jericho is still one of the absolute best performers in the business today. Uh, He's going to be great for SmackDown Live. Uh, We also got the situation with the uh, WWE title. Uh, Jinder Mahal had a segment on SmackDown Live. He was seeking a new challenger. To the shock of no one, here comes John Cena. He wants an opportunity. He wants to face Mahal. Daniel Bryan comes out saying, Cena, in this day and age, you're not given opportunities. You've got to earn it. And next week, Cena, you will have the opportunity to fight for that championship if you can beat Shinsuke Nakamura. Whoever wins that match gets Mahal at SummerSlam. I mentioned it on the Instagram page. And I'm going to say it again. WWE cannot mess this up. First and foremost, they are giving away a WrestleMania type matchup for free. A lot of people have a a big problem with that. I really don't. 
But I can see why people are not happy because this is a matchup. Two of the biggest stars in wrestling today are Cena and Nakamura. That's a dream match from a lot of people. Why are you wasting it on a SmackDown Live where you could be using this match at a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam? And I see the I, I see where people are going with this, but to me, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But yes, I see why people are pissed because it is a WrestleMania match and it's being wasted on SmackDown Live. But it's a big matchup. It's just not like it's not like they're just wrestling each other for no reason. No, whoever wins this match faces Mahal at SummerSlam. But the, the booking on this match has got to be accurate. If you're not going to give Nakamura this opportunity to fight Mahal at SummerSlam, and if you're going to give this win to John Cena, you cannot, cannot have Cena go over Nakamura cleanly. You just cannot do it. If you're going to have Cena beat Nakamura, let it be court, let it be by a screwy finish. And what I mean is have Corbin come out and screw Nakamura. Yes, it mean that would mean it would continue their feud. But again, Ryan, I'm looking at this situation. In the very end, Ryan, Nakamura cannot lose cleanly. He cannot do it. If you have Cena beat Nakamura cleanly, that is a major insult to me. I'm sorry, you know, you, you, you're trying to get Nakamura over. You want him to be a big star on SmackDown Live. Having him lose to John Cena will not be a good look whatsoever from the fans. Oh, how is this guy so good he lost to John Cena? Now, yes, John Cena is a superstar, but still, Nakamura is a part of the future. John Cena is not. Cena has already talked about leaving and retiring. So, it will not look great if they have Cena go over Nakamura cleanly. It will not look great. So... They have a lot of options here. I still think it's going to be Cena versus Mahal straight up because I do believe Cena is going to win the belt at SummerSlam. I want it to be a triple threat match. I want to see Nakamura involved, but I don't, see, I don't think that's going to be the case. So if you're going to have John Cena beat Nakamura, let it be by a screwy finish. Let it be Corbin coming out and screw Nakamura. That's what I want to see. Again, you cannot. Have John Cena beat Nakamura cleanly next week. You cannot do it. It will be a very bad look. And I will be honest with you, Ryan. If they go that route, I will have no intentions to watching SmackDown Live anymore. Because that is a bullshit decision. Nakamura has been pushed well. Could be better. But you can tell that WWE wants to push this guy. It would make zero sense to go that route. But to have him lose to John Cena cleanly. On a SmackDown Live. It will look very, very bad on Nakamura. So, yes, I am interested in this matchup. I want to see what happens next week. I will be watching it. But at the same time, Ryan, I'm going to be sitting there carefully watching the booking of this matchup. And I tell you right now, if they have seen it beat Nakamura cleanly, I'm done with SmackDown Live for a long time. And maybe even done with the WWE because that is a stupid, bullshit decision to make. They have Cena. A guy that is nearing retirement beat Nakamura cleanly. A guy that is supposed to be one of the faces of your brand would make zero sense in the biggest way possible. You cannot have that happen. So we'll see what happens. I Again, I think in the very end, Cena is going to win this matchup and it's going to be him versus Jinder Mahal. If that is the case, Ryan, the booking has to be accurate. And what I mean... Have Nakamura get screwed out of the matchup. I don't care who. 
whether it's Corbin, whether it's Owens, whether it's freaking Dolph Ziggler, I don't care. You cannot have Shinsuke Nakamura lose this match cleanly. If they do that, Ryan, I will be done with this company for a very, very long time. Yes, I will talk about it, Ryan, because we have this podcast that we're doing, so I got to talk about it. But will I sit there and watch a Raw and SmackDown every single week? I don't think I will because that's the type of move that will just drive me away because we all know, Ryan, that's a bullshit move to make. So, Ryan, your thoughts, Cena Nakamura... Do you agree with me? Your overall thoughts on this whole direction of Cena versus Nakamura, the win against Mahal at SummerSlam? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I mean, I definitely did not see it coming. I don't think a lot of people saw it coming. Um, you know, I expected it to be John Cena versus Jinder Mahal straight up for a long time. Uh, you know what? I don't think it's going to be the case now. I think it's going to end up being a triple threat. Just because, again, how do you book this match? Like you said, if Cena does win the match... Somebody has to screw Nakamura. But who do you see screwing Nakamura? I don't think the Baron Corbin feud is going to continue going into SummerSlam. I mean, who wants to see that again? That's not a high-profile matchup that Shinsuke Nakamura should be featured in again, especially at the second-biggest pay-per-view of the year. I don't want to see that. I mean, who else would Nakamura really face that makes sense? I think they're throwing him in the mix here for a reason, and I think it's going to end up being a triple threat match. I really do. Uh, it's definitely something that I didn't see coming, though, that's for sure. But like you're saying, Brian, they have to be really, really careful with the booking with this and how this goes down. If they do have John Cena go over, it cannot be clean, like you said. Something has got to happen. There has to be some co- sort of controversy. But even if there is, and I, I think there will be some sort of controversy, that's why I think it'll lead to a triple threat, and I'm hoping it leads to a triple threat because I'd like to see Nakamura fighting for the WWE Championship, and just it's a little bit more intriguing than just John Cena, Jinder Mahal, straight up. I mean, uh, you know, again, we'll see what happens. Who walks out of SummerSlam with the belt? I'm just, I still have no idea. Let's just see what the match is first before we even make those predictions. But uh, I think it's going to end up being a triple threat. But I definitely agree with you, Brian. It would be a bad move on you know SmackDown Live's part have John Cena cleanly go over Shinsuke Nakamura, but I'm not really worried. I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think they're that stupid to do that because they have to know that if they do that, then everything they built with Shinsuke Nakamura, all the hype, everything that they built towards with the so-called artist is basically going to be going down the drain because how could he lose a big matchup like that to John Cena and still come out of it being okay? Now, for the, as for the people that are upset that this is going on on a SmackDown Live, I mean, come on, give me a break. Yeah, this is a WrestleMania dream match, and I think it will happen on a big stage somewhere down the line. Heck, it could happen in Mania next year. That doesn't mean it can't happen on a SmackDown right here. We have seen matchups before happen numerous times before. All these dream matchups, you know, Owens and Nakamura too, that happened a couple weeks back. Again, it's the same thing. That could be easily a pay-per-view match, but we're going to see it again. In WWE, you see the matchup a thousand times. It's just the way it goes. So people that, are, that complain every week that SmackDown Live is no good, here you go. This is why. They're giving you a good matchup like this. This is why. They're making the programming good. They're making you want to tune in. So why is anybody complaining about it? Again, I just don't understand that. People will complain that SmackDown sucks. SmackDown sucks. Meanwhile, you're getting a whole high-profile dream matchup right here, and then you're complaining that it's not on a pay-per-view. So what do you actually want as a fan? You know what I'm saying? So I think it's fine. I think it gets a lot of people to tune in. I think it helps the ratings a lot. 
And we'll see what happens, but ultimately I think it ends up being a triple threat, or at least I'm hoping it does, because like you said, Brian, there is no chance in hell that they can have John Cena go over Shinsuke Nakamura clean next week. No, and that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that we get a screwy finish, and I'm hoping Nakamura gets involved, but I don't know. I just think for some reason they're just going to have Cena versus Mahal. Cena's going to win the matchup, become champion, because I'm, I'm already hearing rumors that WWE isn't on isn't as high on Mahal as they should be, you know, because, you know, they, they, they made this whole big deal with Jinder Mahal that he's the Maharaja. They wanted to please the fans of India, but watching this title reign, WWE officials, from what I've heard, aren't, you know, too happy with the way this run is going, and they may change their their minds. They want to put a new champion. They want to put the belt on a new person, and that could be John Cena, not to mention if Cena beats Mahal for the belt, that will be the record-breaker 17-time uh, world champion John Cena because he's going to break Ric Flair's record. If you don't think that's the case, then you're nuts, all right? They have him tie Ric Flair. He's going to beat Ric Flair's record. It's a shame, yes, but let's be honest. It's going to happen. We've known it's going to happen for a while. So we'll see what happens, but you know, next week, the viewership is going to be high for Nakamura Cena, and I'm going to watch the matchup. But again, Ryan, they got to hit this booking on point. They have Cena go over Nakamura cleanly. That will be an awful, awful decision. Let's now shift the focus to NXT. And this is one this is something I really want to talk about because NXT right now is in a very interesting position. So they're gearing up for Takeover Brooklyn. By the way, this is their third straight year in Brooklyn, which I'm happy about because the Takeover Brooklyns have been really, really good. And I expect the third one to be even good as well. And as we speak right now, four matches have been made official for the show. Of course, the NXT title match, Bobby Roode versus Drew McIntyre. The women's title is on the line. Oscar versus Ember Moon 2. The tag team titles are going to be on the line. The Authors of Pain are going to face Sanity. Interesting matchup right there. And then the fourth matchup, even though it has not been made official on NXT television, but spoiler alert, Johnny Gargano is going to face Andrade Almas. So right there, four really good matches to start, but they have one spot left to throw in another matchup. They usually do five matches. Maybe this time they do six. I'm not so sure. But usually on a TakeOver show, it's five matches. And there are four big names, Ryan, that are still left off the card. Cassius Ono, Hideo Itami, Aleister Black, and Roger Strong. Now, yes, this past Wednesday, we did we did see Ono versus Itami, which was a fun match. Was it the greatest match? No, but it was good for what, I, for what it was. Uh, match ended in a no contest. Well, basically, Ono won the match by disqualification. Atami pulled a Baron Corbin, kicked Ono in the nuts. After the match was over, Atami continued the attack on Ono. A couple of GTSs, which tells me the feud's not over with. So maybe they give us Ono and Atami too at Takeover Brooklyn. That would not shock me. But let's not talk about Atami and Ono. Let's talk about Black and Strong because. Right now, I have no idea what WWE is planning for both guys, especially Aleister Black. What are they doing with Aleister Black? I really want to know what the planning is because ever since he made his debut back at TakeOver Orlando against Almas, all the man has done is squash people, which I'm not complaining because Aleister Black is a badass, and I love this guy's character. I love his charisma. He's great in the ring. And guess what? People like him. The guy is making a statement every single time he's on television. And you would think with him winning all these matches 
that he at some point is going to have some sort of direction. Have, be, take part in some sort of feud. He has nothing right now, Ryan. He has nothing going on for him right now. So if I were to see Triple H, I would ask him the first question. What in God's name are you doing with Aleister Black? Because this guy has a chance to be such a superstar in NXT. You're just wasting his potential. right? You're wasting his potential right now. What is he doing? You can't keep having him go out there squashing people. Yes, it's fun to see him out there. It's fun to see him kick someone's head off with the black mask. But at some point... He has to start taking part in storylines. He has to take part in a big-time matchup. He has not gotten any of that since he debuted. The Almost match has has been the biggest match he's had. Of course, his recent opponent was Bobby Fish, which is a big match. But still, there are those that don't know who Bobby Fish is. And then he's also going to face Kyle O'Reilly, who people don't know who Kyle O'Reilly is. So, at some point, they got to figure out what the hell they're doing with Aleister Black. You either push this guy... In NXT, or you send him to the main roster. Because you can't keep having this guy sit back and do nothing. He's too damn good to have nothing. You're going to have to figure it out. Aleister Black has got to do something. Same goes for Roderick Strong. Who, other than Aleister Black, you know, he has a direction. Not like Aleister Black. At least Roddy has some sort of direction. He's a babyface. He got the big title opportunity versus Bobby Roode. They, done a, they did a tremendous job telling Roderick's backstory of how he grew up in the bad neighborhood, how his parents were facing addiction. That's a great way to try to get fans to like Roderick Strong. But ever since he lost the match to Bobby Roode, what has Roddy done? Or what is Roddy going to do? Now, he mentioned it on Twitter that he's not through with Bobby Roode, so what does that mean? Is Roddy going to get involved in the McIntyre-Roode match? Or will he get involved after that match is over at TakeOver Brooklyn? I'm not so sure, but again, just like Aleister Black, they got to figure out what to do with Roderick Strong because he's too good to have nothing going on right now. And they've put a lot of work in making Roderick Strong a big deal in NXT. To see them tell his real-life story, talking about his relationship with the girl Marina, about his kid... Talk about how it, it was tough growing up with his two parents having addiction problems. And then you give him this opportunity versus Bobby Roode, which was a great matchup. And then you're going to go back to him doing nothing? they got to figure out what he's doing. they got to figure out what Aleister Black is doing. In terms of Atami and Ono, in my personal opinion, I think Atami is going to be on the main roster very soon. I, I think he's going to be one of those guys that, are, that, are, that is going to get a call-up. Cassius Ono, whether you like it or not... This is what he's going to be doing. He's going to be that guy that's going to get some matches on NXT television, but he's going to be putting over the future. He's going to have a very similar role to Eric Young. Because that's what Eric Young's doing. Eric Young is going to be a guy that's going to put over the young guys. Cassius Ono is going to do the same exact thing. I know there are a lot of people out there that love Cassius Ono. I love Cassius Ono. We all know how great he is as Chris Hero. But that's the reality. You can just tell that Cassius Ono's role in that brand is to put over the future. So I'm not worried about Cassius Ono and I'm not worried about Hideo Itami. I am worried about Black and Strong because those two guys at some point are going to be on the main roster. They are. Both guys are going to be on the main roster. You need to give these guys to do something important. So when they get on the main roster, 
people are going to sit there and say, oh, yeah, that's that Roderick Strong guy from NXT. He did this. Oh, yeah, that's that Aleister Black guy. He's a badass. He did this. Neither guy's at that point right now where they made a major impact, especially Black. He's got to do something. You can't keep holding him back. So hopefully, at some point, Triple H sit there and sa- sits there and says, we got to do something with Aleister Black. We can't keep holding this guy back. He's too good. And the same for Roderick Strong. He's too good. We got to do something with this guy. So right now, when we look at TakeOver Brooklyn, the match card looks very good. I'm very curious to see what that fifth match is going to be. It could be Ono versus Atami 2. Heck, maybe it's going to be Atami versus Black. Maybe Atami versus Strong. I'm not so sure. But in reality, Ryan, NXT has been really, really good lately. And they're going to get even better with all these additions coming in. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But right now, they have got to figure out what the hell they're doing with both Aleister Black and Roderick Strong. These two guys are too damn good to have nothing. And that's why I keep saying, Ryan, that they got to add a mid-card belt. Because maybe if you have that belt, you can have Aleister Black fight for that belt. You can have Roderick Strong fight for that belt. Give these guys something to do that's important. They have nothing going on right now, and that's a shame. One of these guys, or maybe both guys, are not going to be on the card to take over Brooklyn, and that's a bigger shame. So, it's frustrating. Hopefully, they figure it out. Ryan, your thoughts on this whole situation with Black and Strong? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Brian. I mean, uh, as for the TakeOver Brooklyn card, you know, it looks okay. I mean, you know, we all knew that Drew McIntyre was going to face Bobby Roode. That's good. Ember Moon Asuka, that's good. Because what else, you know, are you going to have for the women's match? Even Authors of Pain and uh, Sanity I can deal with. I mean, I thought we were going to get Authors of Pain and Heavy Machinery. Okay, I could deal with Sanity in there instead. Should be a good match. I am not sold on Johnny Gargano versus Andrade Almas. And it's for the simple reason, Brian, like you mentioned, where the hell is A-Lister Black? Where the hell is Roderick Strong? Where the hell is Cassius Ono? And where the hell is Hideo Itami? I know there's still one more match to fill for the card, but there's no way you can involve all four guys. I mean, really, unless it's going to be some fatal four-way, but what the hell would be the point of that? Why don't these guys face off against each other? Why can't you have A-Lister Black versus Cassius Ono or A-Lister Black versus Roddy Strong or something like that? Why is Andrade Almas still getting a spot on the TakeOver card? This guy has gotten so many freaking matches on these TakeOver cards. It's unbelievable. And the guy, let's face it, has no future. Okay, he has no future in NXT. I, I just I don't know how he's still getting these matches. It's just random thrown together matches. And even if he does, you know, have a future here in NXT, what is his future beyond NXT? Where does he go if he hits the main roster? I mean, he's no different than a Tyler Breeze or an Elias Sampson. Yeah, those guys made it to the main roster, but what the hell are they doing? They're doing nothing. Andrade Almas, I can't see this guy doing a damn thing on the main roster. So why? Are you wasting a spot on takeover cards with this guy? He's a good talent. He really is, and I do enjoy his matches, but I am sick and tired of seeing him, Brian. I need to see more A-Lister Black. I need to see more Roderick Strong. I need to see more Cassius Ono. I need to see a little bit less, or actually a lot less, of Andrade Almas. Now, I know that they probably wanted to just get Johnny Gargano on the card because... 
it was probably going to be Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano at this event, and one of, it was going to be one of the biggest matches on the card. Unfortunately for Ciampa's injury, that match can't take place. But why not give Johnny Gargano Aleister Black? Why not give him Roderick Strong? Why not give him somebody else, anybody else, but Andrade Almas? I just feel like it's such a waste. I think it's going to be a good match because, like I said, both guys are really good in the ring. But it's just a freaking waste when you have talented guys like Aleister Black sitting in the back doing nothing. He wasn't even on the NXT TakeOver Chicago card. And you're telling me he's not going to be on the Brooklyn one either? What the hell are they doing with this guy, Brian? Like you said, what are they doing? They need to give him a story. They need to give him something to do. This guy is so freaking talented. And he was one of the guys I was really looking forward to when he came into NXT. But he has literally done nothing since... TakeOver Orlando, where he came in and made his debut, beat Andrade Almas, and that is it. And all he's been doing is been kicking people in the head and winning matches and not really doing much more. He's got no story, no direction. It's really upsetting to see. As for Cassius Ono as well, this guy you thought coming in was going to get a second opportunity here, and he's not doing nothing. Now, I know him and Hideo Itami is the likely fifth match for this pay-per-view event, which, okay, that's going to be good. But again, I just feel like they're wasting uh, they're wasting a spot with Andrade Almas and Johnny Gargano. That's just the way I feel. Uh, again, where the hell is Roderick Strong? Like you said, where is A-Lister Black? These guys are MIA. They got nothing to do. And it's a shame. They need a mid-card belt in here really, really badly. And I don't see them doing any more than five matches on this card. I'd be shocked if they do a sixth one. But if they do do a sixth match... And if it doesn't involve Roderick Strong or Alistair Black, I, I really I just don't know what to say. And this is so unlike Triple H to keep a talented guy like this off of these TakeOver events. Uh, so we'll see what happens when the entire card, that last match, gets announced. But right now, Brian, I am just not high on Johnny Gargano and Andrade Almas. I feel like it's a waste of time, it's pointless, and it's a waste of of a match for this uh, takeover event. No, no, I can't disagree with that. I, I, I agree a lot with Almas. Almas has been here long enough that why is he, keep, why is he keep getting these matches when, you know, we all know I like Almas. I think he's really good, but like you said, Ryan, he doesn't really have a future. You know, the guy doesn't speak English. If he does speak English, it's very limited English. Um, and I know they want Gargano on the car because they they see something in Gargano, but. Like you say, Ryan, you couldn't give Gargano a Black or an Tommy or even a Roderick Strong. Guys like Black and Strong are the future of this brand. Why in the hell are they not on the TakeOver card? doesn't make sense to me. So there's a lot of concerns with NXT about those guys not having any spots. And it may be even more concerning, Ryan, when a lot of big names by the fall are going to be in that brand. Because this is something we got to talk about. NXT's roster by the fall heading into the winter, Ryan, is going to be extremely deep. Probably the deepest in the history of the brand. WWE is signing guys left and right, and they keep bringing guys in. And here are some of the names that are going to be a part of this brand by the end of the year. We've already seen two guys make their appearances, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. Bobby Fish... Already made his TV debut. I think O'Reilly's is next week. I'm not so sure. But Kyle O'Reilly was a part of the recent TV tapings, which means he's going to be on NXT television very, very soon. And that's great. I'm not saying that's a bad, bad thing. It's great because, let's be honest, we talk about the main roster tag teams for the for the WWE. 
Look at NXT's tag teams. Authors of Pain, Sanity, Heavy Machinery. That's an awful tag team division. They need more tag teams. And you have to think, with Fish and O'Reilly in, they're going to be together. Will they be known as Red Dragon? Probably not. But I don't care what they're called. Just put them together. We all know how good they are. When they're together, they're one of the best tag teams in the world. And they could definitely rejuvenate the tag team scene in NXT. That's how good they are. So, they're there. Let's talk about Adam Cole. A guy that we've been talking about for months going to NXT. Ever since his contract ended with Ring of Honor. Everyone thought he was going to sign ASAP with NXT. Not the case. He still hasn't signed, I don't think. He's made appearances in IWC. He's done Wrestle Circus. Hasn't made an appearance yet, but according to The Observer, he should be in NXT very, very soon. If I'm a betting man, I think he'll be a takeover Brooklyn in the crowd. That's my guess. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my guess. So he's going to be there. Leo Rush is going to be there. His last independent date, I think, is either August the 5th or August the 13th. One of those two days, but Leo Rush, by mid-August, will be in NXT. Donovan Dijak will be in NXT. There's been rumors that he is signing with the company and will be joining the brand after BOLA, which is, of course, in September. So expect around September to see Donovan Dijak with NXT. Another big name going to the brand. There's War Machine. Free agents. They're no longer with Ring of Honor. There's been no word about them going to NXT, but would it shock me if they go? No. I've been hearing Raymond Rowe's name in NXT rumors for a while. Not pretty much Hanson, but you have to think if they're going to sign Rowe, they might as well sign Hanson. Maybe we see War Machine in NXT by the end of the year. Another big name. And don't forget, Ryan, the May Young Classic participants, whoever they bring over from the May Young Classic, will be in NXT. So all those names I threw in, to go along with Drew McIntyre, who's going to be there, Cassius Ono, who's going to be there, Roger Strong is going to be there. Alistair Black is going to be there. Authors of Pain. Ember Moon. That is a very freaking deep roster. And it leads me to this, and leads me to ask this. What are you going to do with all those guys? Now, a lot of people are saying they should go to two hours. Yeah, but are they going to do that? No, I don't see them doing it. I don't think Triple H is going to go to two hours yet. Maybe some point down the road, possibly. Never say never. But right now, I think he's going to stick to the original process. And that is do TV tapings once a month and have one-hour shows weekly. That's what I think they're going to do. But again, let's get back into the mid-card title story. With all these guys coming in, Ryan, they have got to add a mid-card belt. Because let's be honest, Leo Rush, in my opinion, is not going to win the NXT title. But having him fight for the mid-card belt, that will be great for Leo Rush. And the same goes for Donovan Dijak. And again, the same goes for the guys I mentioned before. Black, Strong, even Orny freaking Lorkin could benefit fighting for a mid-card belt. Orny Lorkin, every time he's on NXT television, is awesome. The people love this guy. But he's got no direction. He could really benefit wrestling for a mid-card belt. So, and then... This too, Ryan. There's been other reports that WWE is considering putting some of the current NXT, uh, excuse me, some of the current main roster talents 
back to NXT. Guys like Enzo Amore could go back to NXT. The Ascension could go, could go back to NXT. Aiden English, Elias Sampson, guys that are not getting it done on the main roster could go to NXT. Even throw Mike Kanellis in there. He can go to NXT. If they go with that, that route, Ryan, that is a freaking deep, deep, deep roster. And that could cause a lot of problems. Maybe even too deep. How are you going to fit all those guys on one show? There's so much freaking talent there. Not all of them are going to make it. So, what's the solution? My best guess is, Ryan, and a mid-card belt. Maybe my second guess. Throw in another hour. But I don't see that happening. I think the mid-card belt is going to happen. It has to happen. Eventually it has to happen. They cannot keep staying away from that idea. At some point, the roster is going to get too deep. That Triple H is going to have no choice but to throw a mid-card belt in. He's going to have no choice. Because the roster is going to be so, so deep. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I love all these guys coming in. I love Red Dragon. They're going to be great for the tag team division. Adam Cole, in my opinion, is going to be the next big star in that company. And that's not an overreaction. I truly believe in, in two years, three years from now, Adam Cole is going to be one of, if not, the face of WWE. Because he fits the WWE bill. He's got the look. He's got the charisma. He's got the name appeal. He's great in the ring. He's got a personality. He presents himself in a humongous way. He's great on the microphone. He is what Vince wants in a WWE superstar. So I wouldn't be shocked within two years that Adam Cole is the face of the company. He has that potential. Of course, it comes down to booking and how they book this guy. But in my opinion, with his upside, he has a chance to be the face of the company. He's only 28 years old. He has a lot left in the tank. So that's a big group of talent that are going to NXT. I mean, yeah, yeah, Leo Rush, Donovan Dijak, the, the, the May Young Classic competitors. And that's I'm talking about Kyrie Sane. I'm talking about Tony Storm. I'm talking about possibly, you know, you know, Sarah Logan and Dakota Kai. Even Nixon Newell, who's not in the tournament, she signed. So when she comes back from injury, she's going to be there. Abby Laith is there. That is a very deep roster, Ryan. I'm not so sure what the hell NXT is going to do when all those guys are there. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to cut some people to to make room. That's a pretty freaking deep roster. So I'm looking forward to it though. I, I I love NXT. I love the way they run their shows, and a lot of these guys that I just named, they deserve the opportunity to go there. And I think they're gonna make names for themselves. But you gotta sit there and think, Ryan. Are they going way too much with this? NXT is just signing guys for no reason. They're just signing them. They are overloading this roster, and that could be a problem in the very end. Down the road, it could be a major problem. And Triple H is going to have to figure out how to make it a solution. And the only solution I can think of, Ryan, is to add a mid-card belt. But will that be a big solution? Maybe. But will it solve some of their other problems? No, it won't because the roster is too deep. So those are rumors. Again, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, to me, they're locked to go to NXT. So is Adam Cole. So is Leo Rush. Donovan Dijak right now, there's just been rumors, but you have to think he could be going there as well. you got the May Young Classic competitors. Maybe War Machine joins them later. All those names, Ryan, on one show. That is a pretty damn freaking deep show. That's a deep roster. And I really don't know what WWE, specifically Triple H, is going to do with all those guys. And again, I mention all those names, and I keep forgetting about the current guys. 
McIntyre, who's probably going to be their world champion. Roderick Strong, Alistair Black, Cassius Ono, Ember Moon, possibly going to be their women's champion. Ruby Riot is there. Authors of Pain in there. They're going to be the tag team champions. The Velveteen Dream, who they love so much. And to be honest, I'm not a fan of Patrick Clark. I'm not. I just think his gimmick is stupid and weird. So it's a deep roster, Ryan. And it should be interesting to see what WWE does when all these guys are there at once. So, Ryan, your thoughts? What do you think makes the biggest impact of all those names? And do you think there's a solution to having all these guys on the same show and making the show impactful for all these talents. Your thoughts on the situation with NXT? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's going to be awesome to have all those guys. The roster is going to be so deep. I mean, it's basically going to be like, you know, every single independent name in their mother is going to be on NXT. It's going to be crazy. I mean, this has turned into a different brand, no longer developmental. I'm kind of upset about that in a way. Because, you know, you're having guys, you know, like Adam Cole possibly coming in and Leo Rush. I mean, these guys obviously have been doing this for quite some time now. So they're not, you know, coming in to develop. They're not trying to, you know, they're just trying to get their feet wet and get used to the big stage of the WWE. But they're not, you know, getting used to, you know, uh, being in front of a camera or, you know, being in feuds and stuff like this. Like, they know what they're doing by now. So it's kind of turned into a different brand. Okay. But you know what? If if that roster ends up being like you saying, Brian, they have to make a change. Like you said, they need to bring in a mid card belt. And I think you know they don't have to have their weekly programming be more than one hour because I think that's perfect right now. But they got to make the takeover specials a little bit longer. They definitely have to you know have a couple more matches. They maybe seven matches. Add two more matches to to the cards instead of five. Even though five is working right now, I think you know if you have those type of guys though. You're going to need to expand these takeover cards a little bit to get everybody on it. I mean, you want to feature everybody. You want to get everybody on the card. That's something that I just complained about before that they're not doing currently, but they have to do if they sign all those guys. Um, you know, if that's the case, I mean, you would expect them to sign Adam Cole. Expect them to sign Leo Rush. Obviously, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly are there. We've seen in the uh, in the tapings. We'll see. I'm not sure if they signed yet, but they will sign if if they appeared at the tapings. Uh, Ray Rowe is another one. I mean, the list goes on and on. And like you said, if they're also going to send guys on the main roster back to NXT, I think that can also help the brand and those guys as well. Because let's face it, a lot of people thrive in NXT as opposed to the main roster. I mean, look at the guys that were successful in NXT that did not, you know, that were not successful on the main roster. So if you put some guys in front of the full sale crowd, there you go. Those guys will be fine because the crowd loves them. They're invested in them. They're interested in them. And it benefits them in, in, in the end. But I do think they have to change their formula a little bit. If, in, you know, if like you're saying, Brian, they are going to be signing those guys in the future, you can't have five matches on a takeover show. You can't have it be two hours. Maybe expand it to three hours. Do something different. And you need a mid-card belt because what are these guys going to be fighting for? If, you know, if you have, you know, if you don't have a mid-card belt, if you just have tag titles, women's title, world title, and that's it, basically. Get a mid-card belt. It will benefit so many people. They got to do something, and I hope Triple H adheres to this, and uh, I hope he's really thinking of, you know, things to improve the brand because, yeah, it's been working up until this point, but it's only going to get deeper and deeper from here on out, so they need to make a change, and I think those two things, by expanding the TakeOver specials and getting a new mid-card belt, I think it would greatly help the brand. 
And another thing that just popped into my mind, Ryan, the UK talents. What are they doing with them? Now there was a, ru- a report today that the uh, the uh, the rumored UK show that was supposed to happen weekly has been put on hold for the foreseeable future, which probably tells you that that show is never going to happen. And I mentioned that when we talked about it that I just don't think the show is going to work because look at 205 Live. They're not succeeding. They, their, their show is built around one championship, and it's not working out. The same would be – and the case would be the same for UK show. It's built around one title. What is everyone else going to do? So you got to think about that, Ryan. What are they doing with the UK show? What are they doing with Pete Dunne? Tyler Bate, Trent Seven, Mark Andrews, Wolfgang, all those guys are all signed – to WWE, I think, or they have some sort of thing in their contracts where they're signed to WWE, but they're going to make appearances in other wrestling companies. They got to figure that out. It's either that you use these guys on NXT or you just dump them because what are they doing? There's going to be no UK show. I mean, you have the UK title. What are you going to do with that belt? Are you, are, are you going to make that the, the, the mid-card belt for NXT? Maybe. That would be cool to see. The UK title is the mid-card belt for NXT. But you got to think about that too, Ryan. The UK talents have nothing to do right now. Pete Dunne, what is he doing? Other than wrestling all over the world with the belt around his waist, what is Tyler Bay and Trent Seven doing? I've said it numerous times. They should be in NXT as a tag team as Mustache Mountain. What's Mark Andrews doing? He should be a 205 Live. He fits what the Cruiserweights do. They, again, I, I, it's, it's going to be fun to see all these guys there, but it may be way too much, Ryan. It, 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 at a point... Triple H is going to sit there and say, man, I got too many guys. I don't know what to do with them. So we got to see what happens with that. I do have one theory, though, I want to see happen. And if I was Triple H, I would do this in a heartbeat. So we mentioned it that a couple of the main roster guys could go back to NXT. One of the names that has been rumored is Enzo Amore. And we've been talking about Enzo Amore quite a lot for the past couple of shows about his future in the company. And I keep saying that this guy has got to turn into a manager uh, at some point, he's just not going to work out as a singles wrestler. I mean, there's been rumors that he could go to 205 Live. That would not be a good idea because he will not fit in with them well. Uh, he has to be a manager. And I, I and I look at Enzo Moore, and I think he should be one of those guys that goes back to NXT because he can definitely use it. And if you put him back in NXT, Ryan, that's where he should start beginning his manager role in the company. Because the guy can't wrestle for shit. He can't, and he knows it. But what, what what can the guy do? Why is he in the company? Why is he on WWE television? Because the guy can talk. He said it. The only reason why I made it to this company is because I can talk. I can cut promos. And he's one of the best at cutting promos in this company. He may go over the top sometimes, but the guy nails his promos. And that's why I think he would be such a good manager. Because he can talk. He can be the voice of a certain superstar or superstars if you want to put him with a tag team. And I thought about this today. Who is the one guy that Enzo Amore could definitely manage if he goes back to NXT? The one guy I would put Enzo Amore with is Donovan Dijak. If Dijak does go, I'm not sure if that's official, but if Dijak does sign, I would love to see Dijak with Enzo Amore. Because look at Donovan Dijak. He's young. He's big. He's 6'7", 270 pounds. Got a tremendous look. He's got a great physique. He's a great athlete. Donovan Dijak has humongous potential. Huge upside to be a superstar in the WWE. He does. I think he would benefit greatly 
to have a mouthpiece next to him like Enzo Amore. Because in Ring of Honor, we didn't hear Dijak talk a lot. He wasn't really much of a talker. He was there to just to show off his skills in the ring. He was more of a bodyguard instead of a mouth talker. And I think he could have that same role in NXT. But he's going to have to have somebody talk on his behalf. Have someone be his advocate, if you know what I mean. And I would love to see Enzo Amore be that guy. I think an Enzo, Donovan, Dijak tandem would be awesome. Maybe you know, maybe some of you guys don't agree. Maybe you want Donovan Dijak to show off some charisma in NXT talk on his own. But if you're going to have Enzo Amore go back to NXT, he has to be as a manager. You cannot put Enzo Amore back in NXT wrestling. You just can't. This guy should not be wrestling anymore. Enough with it. The guy's not good. The only reason why he's there is because he can cut a promo. And we all seen it. Managers all cut great promos. Paul Heyman, the best promo worker in the business. Freddie Blassie was great at promos. Bobby Heenan was great at promos. Even guys in the independents, Stokely Hathaway is a manager. I like his promos. I like JT Davidson's promos. He's the manager of OI4K. Enzo Amore would be a tremendous manager in this company. And I think if you have him go back to NXT, he has to manage somebody. And the one person I would pick is Donovan Dijak. He's big. Like I said, he's big. Great look. Great physique. Tremendous athlete. Huge potential. I think having Enzo Amore speak on his behalf would really give us a great combination. I really think that's the case. You, you can put him with other guys. Maybe bring in War Machine and have you know Enzo speak on behalf of War Machine. Maybe put Enzo with Dylan Miley, this other big dude they got in NXT. I'm not so sure. Put Enzo with somebody. I don't care who it is. You got to have Enzo as a manager. That's all I'm saying. I've said it numerous times. I'm going to keep saying it until they make the move. Enzo has got to be a manager. His days as a wrestler are over, in my opinion. It has to stop. He should no longer wrestle. Put him back in NXT. Have him be a manager. And the person I would put him with, if I was making the decision, I would put him with Donovan Dijak. Ryan, quick thoughts on that. Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely interesting, let me tell you. Uh, if indeed Donovan Dijak is headed to the WWE, which we would assume, since he's no longer taking independent bookings after a certain date. So, I mean, yeah, I, I would definitely uh, definitely be all for that. I mean, it gives Enzo Amore something to do. Again, we can't stress enough that this guy needs to be a manager. Again, like you said, Brian, I completely agree with you. His days as a wrestler are over. I mean, he can job all he wants. He could be thrown out there fight on main event, fight on superstars, whatever the hell those shows are now that are on Hulu and the WWE Network. I don't care. I do not want to see Enzo Amore in the ring anymore. I don't even want to see him out there giving promos anymore just by himself, unless he's an advocate for somebody like Donovan Dijak, who, again, I think that would be an interesting pairing uh, because, you know, we have seen Dijak with a manager before. I think it would only benefit him uh, working with Enzo Amore, who can make him an even better star in the WWE. I think that'll be an interesting uh, duo right there between those two because I really can't think of anybody that Enzo could manage who's actually on the WWE roster right now. I think if he is going to manage, it does need to be somebody from the outside who's about to come in. So hopefully that happens because we can't stress it enough. Enzo, <laughs> I mean, that's the only future this guy has in the company, let's face it. Yeah, pretty much. The guy doesn't have has no future as a wrestler. He's got to turn manager, and hopefully they go that route, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. So we got uh, about 13 minutes left on the show. Let's give our final uh the topic of the day to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling and the G1 Climax Tournament, which has now been about over a week since the tournament started. 
And and to the shock of no one, the tournament has been freaking awesome so far. I mean, the matches have been tremendous, and the standings have been pretty interesting. And I'm going to bring up the standings right now, who's in the lead uh, for each block, the A block and the B block. Let me bring this up. But uh, here's the standings as we speak. In the A block, we have a three-way tie for first place. Tetsuya Naito, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Zack Sabre Jr., and then coming with four points, Bad Luck Fale, Hiroki Goto, and Kota Ibushi, and Tomohiro Ishii with two points. Excuse me, Togi, uh, my also two, Makabe. Togi Makabe has four points. Yoshihashi has two, and Yuji Nagata, who is taking part in his final G1 Climax, has zero points. As for the B Block... Of course, at the very top is Okada with eight points. Okada yet has has yet to lose a match. He's the only guy in the tournament that has not lost a match yet. Kenny Omega and Evil are tied for second with six points. With four points, Suzuki, Sonata, Tamatonga, and Michael Elgin, Juice Robinson, and Toriyano have two points, and Satoshi Kojima has zero. So, in terms of the matches, Ryan, which has been the best match so far? Easily. Easily, Naito Ibushi from night one. If you have not seen that match, what in the hell are you doing? That was a fantastic matchup, Naito and Ibushi. And there was a story there between these two guys because when Ibushi was announced for the tournament, they asked Naito about it. And I was like, yeah, he's a good talent, but why does he deserve this opportunity? Because this guy doesn't wrestle all the time. He's a part-time wrestler. He only wrestles uh, four times a year, which was a big shot to Ibushi. Great matchup, very physical. Abushi got the vic- excuse me, Naito got the victory in a very fun matchup. That was great. Check that out. Uh, Kenny Omega, Minoru Suzuki from night two, awesome matchup, very physical. Suzuki proved in that match that he may be the most dangerous wrestler in the world. He's just an insane talent. Uh, Omega, of course, is Kenny Omega. Uh, speaking of Omega, his match with Tamatanga was very interesting. There was a lot of bitterness and tension between both guys. Tamatanga basically shitting on the elite, saying that Kenny Omega doesn't care about the Bullet Club anymore. He just cares about himself and the elite. That was some pretty cool stuff. Uh, Michael Elgin versus Okada was a fantastic matchup. Okada, it, the, the guy is just the king of matches, basically. The guy cannot have a bad match. Elgin looked fantastic. And then I checked out this morning... Uh, Elgin versus Omega, fantastic matchup. In my opinion, that was the second best match in this tournament behind Naito and Ibushi. Those two guys there, uh, Elgin and Omega, have tremendous chemistry. These two guys have wrestled each other numerous times. They never put on a bad matchup, and Elgin got the victory on a, a little bit of a shocker, but good for Elgin. He needed the victory. Uh, Evil Sonata has, was a really good matchup. Uh, Evil has been a, a surprise in this tournament so far. So... Yeah, I mean, the G1 Climax has been so far a major success, and the standings right now are pretty interesting. It looks wide open in Block A. Naito, Tanahashi could all win. Not looking good for Kota Ibushi, who was uh, one of my original picks, but so far Naito, my my original pick, basically, is uh, right now has a good chance to win this block and make to the finals. Uh, as for Block B, Okada right now is undefeated, but... He does have that match with Kenny Omega on August the 12th, and you have to think, Ryan, that Kenny Omega is going to beat him. And I think that's the that's the that's where they got to go with this. They got to have Kenny Omega beat Okada. You cannot have Okada beat Omega again. It would make no sense. Have Omega beat Okada. Let those two guys go at each other for Block B. It's been a very competitive tournament, Ryan. It, it looks really good. Uh, some surprises again. I'm surprised that Kota Ibushi has only four points. Um, surprised that. 
you know, not a lot of points so far for Juice Robinson or Michael Elgin, but uh, we still have a long ways to go. There's a, there's a lot to go. We still have about, what, two to three weeks left of this tournament. We still have a lot of matches to look at. Again, Okada Omega is going to be something that has got to be must-see. There's some other big matches. I think Naito versus Sabre has yet to happen. That's a big matchup. Abushi still has to face some other big names there, like Tanahashi. That should be a fun matchup. So the matches, to no shock, have been fantastic. Again, matches that I require people to watch. Abushi versus Naito from night one was fantastic to me. The best match of the tournament. Uh, Suzuki and Omega from night two, fantastic. Evil versus Sonata, fantastic. Uh, Okada versus Elgin, fantastic. And this past morning, uh, and then the, the recent one, uh, Omega versus Elgin, probably to me the second best match in this tournament behind Ibushi versus Naito. So, so far, Ryan, your early thoughts on the G1 Climax? I mean, awesome. Awesome as I expected it to be. Uh, I love the G1 Climax. It is the best tournament in professional wrestling. It's so much fun. Uh, good thing it, it goes on in the summer as well. It's a lot easier to watch. Uh, you know, not a lot of stuff going on. You know, no school or anything like that. So I have I tend to wake up early for a couple of these events and watch it. Although I am a little behind. I haven't watched the G1 uh, for a couple of days now. I did see Omega and Elgin uh, because I, I needed to watch that match. I heard it was awesome, and it was. Definitely go check that out. Like you said, Brian, if that's not the best match of the tournament, it's the second best, absolutely. Those two guys, their chemistry is off the charts. I mean, these two have been wrestling each other for a long time. So many matches, big-time feud, you know, last year around this time between those two guys. So it does not shock me that they killed it. Uh, so good stuff between them. So I did see that. But as for everything else that's been going on this week, I have not caught up yet. Uh, but, of course, like you said, Naito and Ibushi from night one. Uh, I mean, that was free to everybody who didn't have NJPW World. So hopefully everybody checked that out. That was probably the best match of the tournament so far. I also liked Kota Ibushi, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, Michael Elgin and um, Okada was awesome as well. No shock that Okada is currently undefeated and leading the B block at the moment. But again, as we've seen in, in past tournaments with New Japan, like the Super Juniors, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who's at the top right now. There's still a couple more weeks to go and things can change. And I still think that Kenny Omega has a good shot to win this block and head to the finals because. I just don't see how Okada makes it to the finals and beats Kenny Omega in the last night. It just would not make sense. I think, if anything, Omega has to win that final night of the B block to advance. Uh, probably face Naito, I think, in the finals. But I don't think Okada should go totally undefeated. Um, because, again, who's really going to beat Okada in this tournament besides Omega? I mean, let's face it now. If Okada loses to anybody else, that would be a disappointment. And then that person should earn the title shot, whoever beats him. So it really would not make sense. But uh, the entire tournament has been great. Again, very hard to follow because basically there's an, a new show every freaking night. Or every, every morning, I should say. Uh, so it's very hard to catch up on every single match. But as for the tournament, it's going as I expected. A couple of surprising uh, you know, guys up there. A couple of of uh, disappointments. I'm really shocked, like you said, Brian, that Kota Ibushi is not at the top of the leaderboard. I've seen him lose the other morning to Togi uh, Makabe, and I just don't understand that move whatsoever. Uh, I'd expect Kota Ibushi to pick up a couple more points as this tournament rolls on, because I think he should be one of the favorites to win this block if it's not going to be Naito. Um, but, you know, you've got Tanahashi at the top. Zack Sabre Jr. is doing pretty good in his first G1 as well. Uh, so is Juice Robinson. 
and uh, surprising to see Yuji Nagata and uh, Satoshi Kojima at zero points. You know, I know it's Nagata, Nagata's last G1, but I mean, come on, you can't even give him two points. He has to look entirely weak and not have any. Uh, again, I, I think it's very obvious when those two guys wrestle that whoever's facing them is going to pick up the win. But yeah, Brian, I mean, these matches have been off the charts every single night. It's been great. Uh, it's definitely worth it to watch. And like you said, it's one of the best tournaments in pro wrestling today. And I cannot wait for that final weekend, August 11th, 12th, and 13th. And we'll see who wins the G1 Climax 27. Yeah, and I think that's a good possibility that, you know, when that Okada-Omega match happens, Omega has to win that match to advance to the finals. And like you said, I don't see Okada uh, making the finals, and I, and I and I personally don't understand why Okada is in the tournament. And and I mentioned this also when we talked about the best of the Super Juniors. Why is the champion in the tournament? Because in the very end, the winner of the tournament gets a shot at your title. So shouldn't you be waiting and watching to see who faces you? I mean, I guess they just want Okada in to add some intrigue and have some great matches go on. But I never really fully understood why the champion has to be in the tournament because the goal to win this tournament, you know, the, the, what you win after you win this tournament is that you get that title opportunity. So, again, we'll see what happens. It's going to get even better down the road. Omega versus Okada 3, August the 12th is going to be epic. It really is. That's going to be a humongous matchup. Probably going to be the best match in this tournament. And I'm really interested to see what happens in the A block because, again, you know, Tetsuya Naito right now should be the favorite, but Zack Sabre Jr. looks fantastic. Tanahashi, you never know with him. He can get involved. Uh, Kota Ibushi can still make a big run if he can pile up some victories. Like you said, Ryan, the, the Togi Makabe loss to me made no sense. Ibushi's better than that. Uh, so the tournament's been really fun, and, you know, it's, it's great to see uh, these tournaments succeed because, you know, the, the – the tournaments in New Japan Pro Wrestling are not your ordinary tournaments because when you think of a tournament, it's mostly a one-and-done deal in professional wrestling. With New Japan Pro Wrestling, two of their tournaments are, are not like that. They go by point systems. The best of the Super Juniors does it. Uh, the G1 does it. I also think the World Tag League does it. The only tournament that does not do that is the New Japan Cup. It's basically one and done. So uh, I love that. I mean, from the beginning, I thought the system was confusing. But when you watch the tournament matches go on, you have to appreciate that. Mm, that's a pretty cool idea to see these guys. They can lose a matchup, but they still have a chance to win the tournament. That's pretty cool to see. So, been an awesome tournament so far, and it should get better as we move ahead. So, that's all the time we got, people. Thank you guys for tuning in. Don't forget, you want to follow us on social media, go right ahead on Twitter at Royal Ramble IYR. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Royal Ramble Wrestling. Follow us on the Instagram as well at Royal Ramble Wrestling. If you happen to miss us live on itsyourradio.com, don't forget, hit the subscribe button. Check us out, iTunes and Stitcher. This episode that we are recording right now will be up on Saturday. So, give us a look. Give us a rating as well. What do you think of our show? Uh, again, guys, the news that we have for you, our shows are officially now moved to Friday instead of Thursday. Same time, same channel, but just a different day. No more shows on Thursday. We are officially moving the show to Friday beginning today. So, again, guys, next week when we're back on the air, it will be on Friday. And we'll have a lot to talk about next week, of course. Some more in-depth look at SummerSlam. We'll get maybe some more announcements on matches for the pay-per-view. Maybe some more the look into the NXT situation uh, with possible signings and the matches for TakeOver Brooklyn. Definitely get into some more uh, New Japan talk with the G1 Climax tournament. Some other stuff going on in professional wrestling. 
there's always stuff going on, people. Never, never, not anything to go on. There is a lot of wrestling talk all the time. So thank you guys for tuning in. That's all the time we got. I'm Brian Sendek. He's Ryan Martirano. This has been the Royal Ramble Wrestling Podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you next.